0: Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the biweekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George.
1: And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. The Secret Life of Walter Mitty was written by James Thurber and was published in 1939 in The New Yorker.
0: And the adaptation that we're discussing this episode is the 2013 a uh, film, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, directed by Ben Stiller.
1: Yes, and The Secret Life of Walter Mitty is actually a short story, so it's not a book, but um, it's had two movie adaptations. It had one that was made in 1947, and then the one that we're discussing, which is the 2013 version. And we're going to actually do a bonus episode on the 1947 version for all our patrons.
0: I think it's one of those instances where, like, not that the short story wasn't popular or well-regarded, but I think it stuck around or people wanted to make another adaptation of it only because the first one existed. I yes. think that first movie kind of stuck in people's heads, this idea of this kind of story. And I think that's what really like cemented it in the canon, you know?
1: For sure. This is like a four or five page short story. So <laughs> it's,
0: so it's short. super
1: short. <laughs> um And y- One of the reasons that we decided to do this, actually, is because Ian and I are finally going on our honeymoon.
0: Yeah, we're so excited. We are going to Italy. We're going to go to Rome. We're going to go to Sorrento and to Naples for like two weeks.
1: We're very excited. And we wanted to have some content to still come out for the podcast, but we needed something that would be quick for us to put out and so that we could schedule it ahead of time. So when this comes out... We'll, we'll be in Italy or we'll be yeah. just coming back. So yeah, yeah. Um, check out our Instagram if you want to see some photos from Italy. Yes, But uh, we're very excited about that. And so we're here to do probably a much shorter episode because it's like a four page short story. And then we have the movie to talk about. But yeah, this is going to be an interesting one.
0: I will say this was a good movie to watch for us now because it kind of makes you want to travel, right? Like watching this movie is a really good. <laughs> oh, I want to get out there and see the world and like go to other countries and meet different people and uh, so it was good I think at this point for us about to be going to another
1: country. I agree. <laughs> okay, so the way that we're going to do this is we're going to talk about the short story first and then we're going to talk about the movie and we might make some parallels when we talk about the movie later on, but they are really two separate things and of course The short story is very, very short, so I want to read you just how the short story begins because it really gives you a taste of what this short story is like, so I'm going to start. We're going through! The commander's voice was like thin ice breaking. He wore his full-dress uniform, with the heavily braided white cap pulled down rakishly over one cold gray eye. We can't make it, sir. It's spoiling for a hurricane if you ask me. I'm not asking you, Lieutenant Berg, said the commander. "'Throw on the power lights! Rev up to 8,500! We're going through!' The pounding of the cylinders increased. "'Tapakata, pakata, pakata, pakata!' The commander stared at the ice forming on the pilot window. He walked over and twisted a row of complicated dials. "'Switch on number eight auxiliary!' he shouted. "'Switch on number eight auxiliary!' repeated Lieutenant Berg. "'Full strength in the number three turret!' shouted the commander. "'Full strength in the number three turret!' The crew, bending to their various tasks in the huge hurtling 8-engine navy hydroplane, looked at each other and grinned. "The old man'll get us through," they said to one another. "The old man ain't afraid of the old man ain't afraid of hell." "Not so fast. You're driving too fast," said Mrs. Mitty. "Why are you driving so fast?" "Hm?" said Walter Mitty. He looked at his wife in the seat beside him with shocked astonishment. She seemed grossly unfamiliar, like a strange woman who had yelled at him in a crowd. You were up to 55, she said. You know I don't like to go more than 40. You were up to 55. Walter Mitty drove on toward Waterbury in silence, the roaring of the SN-202 through the worst storm in 20 years of Navy, flying, fading in the remote, intimate airways of his mind. You're tensed up again, said Mrs. Mitty. It's one of your days. I wish you'd let Dr. Renshaw look you over. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs>
0: a, a fantastic beginning to yes. the story. Yeah, I think the author does such a good job of capturing the cheesiness. Yeah, of these daydreams and like,
1: the, the tone. Yeah, it's almost like he's writing a different version of the, sh- the story. Yeah. And you can tell he's a good writer.
0: Absolutely. Like, the characterization of, like, the hat pulled down over one gray <laughs> eye. In other stories, when he's, like, a doctor, like, yes. everyone's like, oh, my God, he's so cool. And, like, the, 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 the way he constructs those daydreams and the style of writing just evokes that, like, cheesy movie mm-hmm. quality that I think, elevates the story so much
1: for sure and this is how the story begins we're, we're in the daydream first right of him in this uh boat going through this storm right and then his wife interrupts him and he's driving too fast yeah there's another scene like you said where he imagines he's this doctor and there's this emergency surgery he has to perform and Suddenly he comes to and he's driving in like an exit lane and someone's like, hey, dude, like.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the the one thing that's interesting and I wanted to ask you about was the um, that sound that was that you read the tapakada pocket, pocket, in the first story kind of keeps coming up. Yeah. When he's the doctor, there's like a machine making that noise. And then later there's a different sound that's like that. And at one point I thought it was the car sound. Yeah, maybe. But then in a different daydream that's not in the car, that noise comes up again. Mm. And I'm like, I wonder if there's some kind of meaning to that or something. Or, I mean, regardless, I like it as kind of this, like, connective thing between the daydreams. Mm -hmm. Like, in whatever daydream he's in, there's this, like, recurring sound motif going on. Yeah,
1: I thought that was interesting, too. I I recognize that that was kind of repeating. And... Almost adding to the quality of the daydreams.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, having a lot more texture to them. There's these sounds and interesting noises going on as well. Yeah. uh, And it's this whole short story is just Walter Mitty and his wife going into town to do some errands and his wife is getting her hair done and he is supposed to go and shop for some of the things that they need.
0: Yeah. And you get the feeling that like the wife is kind of naggy and he's kind of unhappy And, you know, he's like, oh, what's that other thing she wanted me to buy? She's going to get on my case if I don't remember, because she'll remember and I didn't. And he remembers it was like dog biscuits, something like really. So, like, you kind of get this portrait of a man living a very kind of mundane life and just occasionally slipping into these, like, really over-the-top daydreams. Yeah. And there's definitely a consistency to the daydreams, too, right? He's always... I think they, I think he's kind of referred to as Walter in every daydream, but like in one he's a doctor, in one he's like a Navy pilot, in Mm -hmm. one he's like a gangster on trial. (laughs) Uh, So like he's kind of a different character in each one. Yeah. Which I think contrasts the way the movie approaches a lot of the daydreams.
1: Yeah. And in the short story, he is the hero in these stories, right? He's playing a main part, you know, he has an active role and he's imagining these elaborate scenarios for his life. I think this is really interesting. And this is basically it. Like, this is the short story. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, there's no arc for him other than he keeps dreaming and his wife keeps being like, hey, we got to go now. <laughs>
0: like <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, he, he drops his wife off at the hairdresser, he runs a couple errands, and then he picks her up at the end. Yeah. All while just having these daydreams. Yeah. And it's funny that both, like... There's been two movies out that take that general idea of a man with a very loose imagination and kind of putting him in... I know the 47 movie has something to do with, like, a jewelry heist kind of thing. Nazis. Nazis. He falls into some kind of, like, misadventure. And then, of course, the 2013 movie is its own adventure. Yeah. But the... Short story is just a man who daydreams.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I just want to like, I just want to read the ending of this short story because it's very, very interesting as well. I'm going to give you the beginning and the end of this short story. Basically 80% of it. (laughs) (laughs) Wait here for me. I forgot something. I won't be a minute. She was more than a minute. Walter Mitty lighted a cigarette. It began to rain. Rain was sleet in it. He stood up against the wall of the drugstore, smoking. He put his shoulders back and his heels together. To hell with the handkerchief, said Walter Mitty scornfully. He took one last drag on his cigarette, snapped it away. Then with that faint, fleeting smile playing about his lips, he faced the firing squad, erect and motionless, proud and disdainful, Walter Mitty, the undefeated, inscrutable to the last. I find this final daydream so weird. (laughs) Yeah. Because he's imagining getting shot. Yeah. By a firing squad. But it's also him kind of re- the the last line remaining inscrutable and undefeated to the last is sort of almost an ode to his imagination as well. Undefeated, yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. Despite his wife constantly being <sighs> like, pay attention, be engaged, like he's still like removed and to himself and unknowable in a way
0: yeah I also find this interesting because this daydream reality slips into this daydream smoother than other ones the other ones are very abrupt where it's suddenly like yeah doctor we need you you know that kind of like quick transition whereas this one he stands up against this wall and then says something about to hell with the handkerchief and you're like what but he's still smoking the cigarette that he first lit. Yeah. So it still feels like it's in reality. And then it talks about, like, the firing squad, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I feel like it's kind of a more slight transition into the daydream than other portions. And also it's, I think, like you said, it's kind of morbid. It's him facing a firing squad and almost, like, acknowledging the kind of sad reality of his life almost. Yeah. Like, despite this being a kind of fun story, there's also this kind of, like, melancholy sad quality to it about him just kind of being generally unhappy, it seems.
1: Yeah, and just having an unsatisfying life. Yes,
0: exactly. And kind of making the last daydream a little sad or a little unsettling, I think, is very fitting for this story. It's a
1: good way for it to end. I think it leaves an interesting uh, taste in your mouth.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Despite, Despite the story feeling... Like, not really having much of a plot, kind of being a little meandering. The way it ends, I think, ends with a, like you said, a a certain feeling, right, that lasts.
1: Yeah. And I kind of want to talk about James Thurber a little bit Mm -hmm. because I actually had never heard of him, but he's a really influential writer from the 1930s and 40s. And he actually worked and wrote and drew for The New Yorker. Oh, really? Yeah. So he... Wrote a ton of stuff for The New Yorker, uh, random pieces, short stories like this. And also he was a cartoonist for The New Yorker.
0: That's really interesting.
1: Yeah. He was friends with E.B. White, who kind of got him into the cartooning uh, at The New Yorker. And he was known. He put out like a ton of short stories. He wrote children's books. He also wrote kind of semi-autobiographical stuff. He was known as a humorist. And a lot of people will say that like David Sedaris kind of is in the vein of James Thurber.
0: Oh, interesting. Almost like writing
1: humorously and sarcastically about his own life.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, I liked this, honestly, like, I mean, this could be different than his other writings. I mean, it doesn't seem to be based on what I've heard about him as a writer, but, like, Based on this one short story, I like his style a lot.
1: Yeah, it's it, it does have a really kind of ironic and funny tone to it.
0: And he really uses his word choice and things like that very effectively. Like, he just feels like a very conscious writer in that way.
1: Yeah, and he had kind of a sad life. When he was a kid, his, him and his brother apparently were playing William Tell. You know, the the story about the guy shooting the apple off of his son. Oh no! And his brother shot an arrow into his eye.
0: Oh my god! Yeah.
1: And so what happened was he lost sight in that eye. The doctor that looked at it didn't remove the eye. Okay. And what happened is his other eye got infected, which can sometimes happen when one eye is. Hurt oh, or damaged. I did read
0: he was like almost yeah. completely blind. Eventually,
1: the eye did have to be removed, but but by that time, his other eye was affected. So by the time he was like. By the time the 1940s rolled around, he was basically completely blind.
0: Was this after his uh, cartooning career, it was I'm guessing? during.
1: Okay. Because <laughs> while he was losing his eyesight, yeah. he would like do really big charcoal drawings and use these crazy magnifying glasses. Like he worked as long as he could in the cartooning. Um, And then he kept writing even after he was blind. He would basically compose entire stories in his head and devote it to memory and then read it out loud so people could type it.
0: I am so fascinated by this man. (laughs) I wanted to know more after finishing this story. I only want to know even more now.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, kind of had a tough childhood Obviously, a visual disability at this time, you know, was very difficult, right? And it was hard for him to do his work. He was in a really unhappy marriage for a long time and then got divorced, remarried. It seemed like maybe he was also unhappy in that marriage, too. (laughs) From what I read, he, in a lot of his writings and even in his cartoons, he always kind of portrays women who are domineering towards men. Yeah. As, like, these very, like kind of nagging, almost in the cartoons they'll look larger than the men, and they're just very, like, overbearing, right? I
0: was a little suspicious by, like, the (laughs) husband-wife dynamic of this story. Like, not that that means that it's like that in every story, but...
1: I've heard that he was a bit of a misogynist.
0: I (laughs) wouldn't be shocked, is all I'll say based on this. Yeah. Wow, I mean, what a man, what a life.
1: Yeah, and then I guess he was a heavy drinker, which... You know, maybe <laughs> maybe with the, the wives and the the eyesight. The he vision was like issues. just give me the alcohol and, and he died probably in his sixties, so he wasn't that old. Okay. But yeah. yeah. Um very interesting guy. I think he was really influential for a lot of writers, his style. And of course he was very instrumental in The New Yorker.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like we both generally, you know, enjoyed this story for the most part, the short story. Yeah. Uh, Should we transition into the 2013 Ben Stiller starring (laughs) and directing uh, vehicle? Yes, let's do it. So we already said that this is the second adaptation of the Walter Mitty short story. And from what I've read, this movie was in development hell to varying degrees for at least a decade or probably closer to two decades. More like 20 years. Yeah, Uh, there was, I think... Before Ben Stiller took it on, it, it the closest it got to being made was in the 90s with Jim Carrey starring and Ron Howard directing. But then at some point, that fell apart. And I mean, for years, I mean, Will Farrell was attached. Sasha Baron Cohen was attached. Owen Wilson was attached. I
1: read that Spielberg was attached.
0: Really? Yeah. I, I could believe it. I mean, it seemed like every everybody but <laughs> in front of and behind the camera at some point was attached to... Uh, be in or create this film right i don't know what finally made it land with ben stiller uh starring and directing but that finally kind of like solidified but i mean this movie was like it took so long for it to get its second adaptation that's
1: so wild
0: yeah um so the main character of this movie is walter mitty yeah he's Similar to the short story, kind of a very average man. I mean, in this version, he's not married. He's single. But we're introduced to him balancing his checkbook alone in his apartment, refreshing his eHarmony page. (laughs) Overall, just seeming kind of like a bit of a loser. You know what I mean? And he works for Life magazine. He works in the photo department, kind of developing and, and setting photos for different articles and things like that. And I enjoy the fact that he works for... Life magazine, yeah, in terms of it being ironic that like he doesn't seem to have much of a life and that being kind of a funny, ironic setup,
1: yeah. And Life magazine at this time is being bought out and also being kind of shut down. Um, and this is something that actually happened to Life magazine in the 90s,
0: yeah, it went from being monthly
1: Mm -hmm. to weekly. Is Weekly that right? Weekly to monthly.
0: Weekly to monthly. Okay. I was like...
1: <laughs> and then they just went to online and they would occasionally come out with like a real um, physical edition for special events. But it, it really did go to online and now it doesn't even exist anymore.
0: Yeah, I was because you know, a lot of this movie about life being shut down and I'm like, okay, this is Probably true, right? This must have happened, or else life probably wouldn't be like, yeah, make this movie about us, like going down the toilet. <laughs>
1: yeah, I know, I know. And so Walter Mitty is, you know, coming into work, and there's this character played by Adam Scott, who we're just gonna call Adam Scott with a beard. <laughs> yeah, right? he's yeah. just this dick bag who is part of the downsizing and the shutting down of Life Magazine, and it's his job to kind of manage this transition time. He's gonna be firing people. He's Uh, in charge of the last physical edition that they're going to come out with. And so the plan is to come out with one more physical edition and then they're shutting down or just going to online and everybody is basically going to be fired.
0: Yes, yeah. I'm convinced Adam Scott got this role based on his role in Step Brothers. (laughs) Very similar like douchey bullying kind of energy, right? Like he feels like a bully.
1: Yeah. And it's a
0: little odd, I think, in this movie. Like he has like his little entourage And he's kind of making fun of people. And I'm like, this is an adult man, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Of course, we get the key aspect of this movie that is a carryover from the short story, which is that Walter uh, frequently has very elaborate daydreams. And we kind of just thought we would, like, discuss generally all of his daydreams. Yeah. Since usually they're just kind of like these asides slightly tying into what's going on. But I mean in a lot of ways, they could be almost be written out of the story and it would still flow in the same way. It
1: really would. Well, I think one of the first ones he has is he dreams that he rescues a dog out of a building that's about to explode.
0: Yeah, <laughs> which I think that first one kind of hits that balance of like very over the top, like there's kind of an action element to it and also like an exaggerated humor to it. So that is kind of almost like the... Uh, the middle ground that kind of like the other daydreams almost kind of like revolve around,
1: right? Yeah. Then there's the one where he is like a mountain hiker or something. Yeah. With a weird accent.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think the idea is funny. Like his hair's funny and him being like handsome, but like th- there's, there's kind of a, there's like almost different rules to each daydream, right? Yeah. Some daydreams transition in a way that almost feels like they could happen even if they're heightened but like this one is suddenly the office is in the himalayas and he steps in as like a mountain man (laughs) so it's like okay this isn't reality in any way or you know what exactly is going on here some are like really subtle like there's one of him in the elevator with adam scott's character and he just kind of like disses adam scott about his beard (laughs) yeah so like nothing nothing more than that right just him wishing oh i wish i had said that to this guy right
1: yeah and then there's the fight with adam scott in the elevator yeah that turns into them uh punching each other out of the wall and then uh they are road skiing i don't
0: (laughs) i don't like this one i don't either it's way too much and it feels like i don't know suddenly it goes It goes through this kind of, like, elevator fight, which I think was working. Yeah. And then it goes very anime with them, like, crushing pavement. And then, like you said, (laughs) skating on pavement, which is on pavement. Yes. And fighting over this Stretch Armstrong doll. And I don't—it was just very weird. I I actually saw behind-the-scenes footage of Ben Stiller on a skateboard— Going down the street, Mm. I think, like, before they added a lot of the effects of the shots. Yeah. And I kind of wonder if the whole them skating, well, probably not. It was probably always intended to be that. I wondered if they added that pavement thing on top of the skateboard, like, if they changed their mind or something. Yeah. Because, like, the skateboarding makes more sense. His character does skateboard.
1: Yeah, that's, like, the one thing he does. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, this thing was way too much... Uh, then of course there was the <laughs> the Benjamin Button. We
1: have to talk about this daydream because it starts out so so normally, right? It's Cheryl, this woman that he's interested in, who's like, oh, you know, my ex is calling. Maybe he fell down a well, and it's joke, right? And then she comes back, and it's a daydream. She's like, he did fall down a well, but I don't care. I just want to be with you. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, this is just a typical like scenario where he imagines that they're together. And then he's like, Oh my god, I, I I wanna be with you too, but I have that weird Benjamin Button disease <laughs> where I'm aging backward or something. I don't I'm, really I'm, I'm I don't go, I'm
0: getting smaller. I, I don't,
1: don't really know. I haven't seen the movie. I didn't see it. <laughs> and she's
0: like, That's okay. And then it transitions <laughs> to a scene of them on the porch. Yeah. And he's Like, both old and really tiny. (laughs) And she says something like, let me cradle you while you die. Yeah, just
1: nestle in here and die (laughs) is what she says. Look, (laughs) I think this is way too
0: far into the absurd, humorous aspect. Like, it feels like, you know, Ben Stiller also directed one of our favorite comedies, Tropic Thunder. This feels very Tropic Thunder in terms of, like, satirizing. I was
1: going to say, Ian, this is... This is Tropic Thunder. Yes, yes, it is. And I felt that way about a lot of the daydreams. Really? Yeah. The one where they're fighting, like where they're doing the road skiing, you know? And like some of the other daydreams too, it felt almost like, you know how in Tropic Thunder when they did... The fake ads for the movies that they were in. That's <laughs> yeah. what they felt like to me. Yeah. They felt like fake movie ads featuring Walter Mitty.
0: Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> I didn't feel that way necessarily until this, which felt specifically poking fun at Hollywood, which is what Tropic Thunder is all about. Yeah. I mean, despite that, despite thinking it's too much and doesn't fit in with this movie at all, it was hilarious. It was I, so funny. I was, like, sweating. I was <laughs> laughing so hard. Uh, but
1: it's so weird, it's right? So, I
0: know. It feels very much like, and I think a lot of these daydreams veer into, it's not about what someone actually would daydream about. It's about, like, what can we do That would be visually appealing to the audience or be very funny. Like, a lot of them don't feel genuine to what people daydream about. No. Because, I mean, like, yeah, people daydream about, like, kind of absurd things sometimes. But, like, the whole jumping out of buildings and skateboarding on roads. I mean, the thing
1: where he insults the guy, right? That's a classic daydream where you're like, oh, I had a comeback in that moment. And I actually stood up for myself, right? Or, like, I imagine the person that I liked liking me back, Yeah. Right? Those are daydreams that we all can understand. Even sometimes, like, being the hero of the story, like, running into a building and saving the dog, right? Yeah, if he didn't,
0: like, jump through. But, <laughs> but then, like, the whole line about, like, oh, by the way, I built this orthopedic prosthetic oh, for your yeah. dog. Like, I get it as a joke that it's, like, over the top and funny, but, like, it, it's breaking that idea of what a daydream is, yeah. right? And yeah. we talked about, like, and I guess not necessarily that, um you know, they couldn't go in that direction with the daydreams. But I think the daydreams had to have some kind of consistency. Like I mentioned that with the short story. In all those short story daydreams, he's just kind of a different persona yeah. or a different profession. In this one, I'm in the Navy. In this one, I'm a doctor. In this one, I'm like on trial for something. Uh, But in these ones, sometimes it's just very lightly altering reality, like insulting Adam Scott. Sometimes it's parodying Hollywood movies and then also (laughs) changing locations. Sometimes it's big action set pieces. Like it was just so all over the place. And I think it needed some kind of central nucleus that they all kind of like felt similar to.
1: Yeah, I agree. They were just all over the place. Yeah. Funny. And some of them were better than others. But yeah, I just didn't know what they were really... Accomplishing for his character.
0: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, like, yeah, we get it. We all want to be like the hero of our story, and you can tell that he's kind of a secluded man or kind of introverted. But how many times do you have to like see a daydream to like get that point across? Like, you get that idea very early on. (laughs) And I think you could do more with the daydreams, but I don't know. The movie felt more concerned with like inserting humor with the daydreams, inserting action with the daydreams, than really, like, furthering the plot or the story or characterization in any way. I
1: completely agree. Uh, Let's talk about about Walter's mom and sister and kind of his family structure. We are introduced to the mom who is moving to, like, a retirement home or something.
0: Yeah, but her piano won't fit in the retirement home. So then she moves back in... With With Walter. Walter. This part was weird. It was so
1: weird. And then they're like, oh, we have to sell the piano. Yeah. And I'm like, what is this story with the (laughs) retirement home and the piano? Like, I don't understand it.
0: Well, uh, Walter's dad bought the piano for his mom. So, like, yeah, there's a sentimental attachment to it. But is that enough to justify, like, the absurd lengths they're going to? And why do we
1: have a scene where they're hoisting the piano up to the house and then they're like oh wait it's not gonna fit yeah like what was the point of that they could have just told us the piano won't fit like why do we have to see it happen
0: yeah and like kind of everything relating to this felt similar where like when he meets the sister there's just a lot of exposition about like oh the piano's being delivered today and like oh well ever since dad got her that piano she can't get rid of it and like oh dad's
1: dead and yeah remember when you worked at Papa John's (laughs)
0: Yeah, like a lot of this, these parts felt like really exposition heavy and kind of clunky. Yeah. I don't know if it's due to like rewrites or I don't know. And
1: I understood what they were doing with the dad, right? Because they were establishing for Walter's character that his dad died and Walter was a, a kind of like wild child. He skateboarded. He had a mohawk. And then his dad died and he had to provide for the family. So he started working at Papa John's, Ian. <laughs> and then from there, he's been working ever since and has kind of kept his head down and not really dreamed, dreamed big. But I don't feel like his mom and sister really do anything in this story. That's a and really they good could, point. They could have not been in it.
0: Absolutely. It could have just
1: been like his dad died and he remembers his dad, like...
0: His sister's quirky and his mom is like generally supportive, but I don't feel like they are integral characters like you were saying like they could have been written out of the story almost completely
1: yeah and the whole thing with the mom's house is just so confusing
0: i know it's like a very weirdly complicated aspect of the story that they have to like rush through the details of and you're like i feel like this is more important than it (laughs) is or should be i don't it's it's bizarre it's
1: weird we also have cheryl who we've already mentioned um played by Kristen wigg who is kind of the love interest of the story She recently started working at Life Magazine and he heard in the break room her telling someone else, not creepy at all, (laughs) that she recently broke up with someone and she's now on eHarmony. And so now Walter is going to be on eHarmony. So he can meet her on eHarmony and they can accidentally match and then oh my god, would they actually work together? Like the Pina Colada song. That's exactly what the Pina Colada song was (laughs) about, right? I was
0: really, I wanted them (laughs) to bring that back at some point to be like, you know that movie's about like someone wanting to cheat on their partner yeah. right? before they re- remember their soulmates. Like it's kind of a weird song to oh my be God. inspired by. I could go by. off about
1: that song.
0: <laughs> <laughs> also, I feel like this is a decent point to bring up the fact that I'm like, I feel like this movie is like kind of an ad for several things things. For
1: several things. It yeah. feels like
0: an E Harmony ad. A
1: Papa John's. A Papa
0: John's ad and even like an ad for Life magazine. Which is
1: gone. Which it doesn't
0: <laughs> exist anymore. Yeah. It's very sentimental about life which like I think if it was only life you could have gotten away with it. Because it's like yeah, it's yeah. kind of a, a bigger idea about like connecting people through mm-hmm. writing and photography. And, and, a,
1: and an old type of magazine that used to exist, right? That doesn't anymore. Yeah.
0: Like I think you had room to like do the life magazine aspect, right? But like the e-harmony thing is a feels a little forced. And then like the Papa John's thing, even though there's also kind of a sad quality to the Papa John's part.
1: I know. I'm like, does this make people want to go to Papa John's, <laughs> or are they like, Papa John's destroys young boys' yes, dreams?
0: Destroys your enthusiasm for life <laughs> by having to, uh, you know, just work a, a shitty job that you hate and give up on your dreams.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't love it.
0: No. Uh, so there is a photographer that does a lot of, uh, work for Life magazine that Walter kind of has, like, a certain relationship with in terms of, like, Walter who's always the one who is, like, developing the negatives of his photos and, I think, probably cropping and framing them in the magazine. And so he kind of has this, like, written correspondent relationship with this photographer.
1: Yes. Sean O'Connell played by Sean Sean Penn Penn. (laughs) (laughs) and Sean O'Connell. The photographer is your stereotypical, like remote, uh, like
0: journalist, journalist, photographer photographer
1: who lives off the grid and nobody knows where he is. And he doesn't have a phone and he lives (laughs) in the moment. He's very different from Walter, but they do kind of, he does trust Walter right with his photos. And it seems like out of everybody, he respects Walter to, Oh, handle his work.
0: Yeah. There's a great line about like, oh, sorry if there's blood on this roll of film. I <laughs> had to hand stitch a gunshot wound to my <laughs> abdomen. Like, it was a really... This movie, like, sometimes the humor goes too far. Sometimes it's very subtle. But, like, there are points when it, I think it hits, like, a perfect balance. And, like, that was a line that I thought was, like, really funny.
1: Yeah. He sends him a new roll of film and he's like, I heard about what's happening at Life magazine. Just wanted to know you to know how much working with you has meant to me my negative number 25. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, His his role of, like, negatives, like, the film he shot. Yeah, there was a, like, whatever, the photo 25 on the roll. He's yeah. like, this is, like, the quintessential photo, like, not only of my career, but of Life magazine, and I'm, like, really excited about it and blah, blah, blah. And um, they open the film canister, and it's not in there. And he also sent, like a package to Walter with like a wallet and like a nice message in it. Cause it would say, you know, like the end of their working relationship. Yeah. Um, but Walter is like, Oh, the photo isn't here. <laughs> We're kind of fucked if we can't if we can't find this. And so,
1: yeah, because Adam Scott's character is like, oh, I heard that Sean O'Connell, the famous photographer, sent a roll of film over and he said, number 25, should be the, the cover image for our last issue. So get that cover image to me. And Walter's like, yep, I'll get it to you right on it as soon as I find it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so he's kind of buying time by like bullshitting about like, oh, it's in the silver bath and like doing all this <laughs> stuff. But he kind of talks to Cheryl, who also works somehow in like the photography department and kind of confesses like we don't have the photo and we're trying to find it. And they know the photo taken uh, right before 25, like, you know, photos 24 and 26 are there. And based on those two photos, they're like trying to like piece together where he was last like how can they track him down because they're not sure where he is and so he starts working with cheryl kind of almost using this as an excuse to get to know her a little bit more
1: yeah they look at the photos they're piecing um some of the clues together there's a scene where they're walking in the park together and he actually meets her son and has a bonding moment with him because he's like oh i can skateboard And they have someone who is not Ben Stiller doing skateboard tricks. I I will say,
0: though, this was also a really funny joke where he's showing her son all these, like, wild skateboard tricks. And it's always when Cheryl's back is turned and anytime she, like, looks back at him, he's, like, just standing there. And then when she turns away, he's showing something else that's, like, crazy impressive.
1: Yeah, I did think that was funny, too. Eventually, though, they determine that Um, he, that Sean O'Connell is probably in Greenland right now. And Cheryl is kind of like, oh, you should go try to find him, try to track him down. And Walter kind of brushes this off. But then as the clock is ticking down and he needs to get this image, he sort of is like, well, why not go to Greenland?
0: Yeah. And I mean, so much of the setup of this movie is kind of showing how Walter has lived a very unfulfilled life. You know, his eHarmony about me page is like practically blank. And he's reminded of, like, he's oh. A,
1: a little travel book yeah, that gave him this here,
0: empty. <laughs> here's your empty travel book <laughs> to remind you of all those trips you didn't go on. And, oh, remember this backpack you didn't use because you never went hiking with it? <laughs> so, like, a lot of setup has been, or a lot of time has been put up in this setup of showing him being kind of, like, unfulfilled, you know, in his life. And so this Greenland trip uh, feels like a moment for him. So... Uh, Set to the score of an arcade fire song, (laughs) he packs his bag, he rushes to the airport, and he's on a plane for Greenland.
1: Yeah. He gets there, and he's at this deserted bar because Greenland is only filled with eight people. Eight people, which
0: apparently (laughs) you only ever see eight people in Greenland, which is a funny detail. I love that. Uh, He meets a very drunken helicopter pilot. Yeah. And he's able to identify... His thumb with a specific ring on it as being one of the photos in the role that Sean sent. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, Do you know Sean O'Connell? And he's like, Oh, yeah, no, I, I flew him out on my helicopter to this boat that you're looking for. And so, you know, kind of piecing the clues together, right? But this scene with the helicopter pilot is so funny. <laughs> And honestly, 90% of this scene working is the actor who plays the pilot. Yeah. He just plays the drunkenness so well. (laughs) He's very almost like- He's
1: singing karaoke at one point. Yeah. And then they like kind of get into a bar fight. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it's the part after that, though, that is really funny. He's like, because he's very, he plays a very soft-spoken drunk, like, kind of quiet and just, like, mumbling about, like, finishing his beer before he goes. And And don't
1: cheat on your wife, especially (laughs) if there's only eight people in Greenland.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This scene was, like, so, but, like, honestly, it works because of the actor playing him. Yeah,
1: he's like, I can take you to the boat. I'm about to fly over right now. And and Walter's like, you're going to fly over right now. And he's like, yeah, right after I finish this beer.
0: And he, like, stumbles away from the table. And Walter's
1: like, isn't there a storm on the horizon? He's like, yeah, I'm kind of nervous about it, which is why I had some beers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but so Walter, like, says, yeah, I'm not flying out with you at first, which, like, you know, probably the best choice. Valid. But uh, as he's watching the helicopter pilot, like, start up the helicopter, he's sitting at the bar, and he has a daydream of Cheryl being there and her playing the guitar for the bar and she starts playing
1: Space Odyssey. Space, Oddity.
0: Yeah, Space Oddity, which is the uh, Major Tom, David Bowie song. Yeah. And I really like this because earlier in the movie, Adam Scott takes a jab at Walter uh, saying, you know, Major Tom, like tapping him on the head. Ground when,
1: control to Major Tom. When he
0: zones out and then later keeps calling him Major Tom. And then in a different scene, I love Cheryl tells him she's like. You know, that song is about courage and going into the unknown.
1: Yeah. And I really
0: love that moment because, yeah, you know, it's easy to be like, oh, this is a funny thing to like refer to this character as. But it's like a beautiful David Bowie song. And for her to like acknowledge like what it's really about Mm -hmm. and kind of tying that thematically into Walter's character, I like.
1: Yeah. And then in this moment, when he imagines her playing the song on the guitar in this bar, it gives him the inspiration that he needs to actually jump into the helicopter and trust this man who is drunk driving into a storm.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so uh, they they fly out to the boat and Walter has to jump off of the boat into the water. Like he, he or I'm sorry, jump off the helicopter into the water. He was supposed to jump into a small boat. He misses and goes into the water. <laughs> this leads into a whole scene where there's a shark.
1: Ian, this does not work. <laughs>
0: No, it doesn't. This scene,
1: because they're like, "Oh, it's a porpoise that's circling around you," and Walter's like, "It's not a porpoise," and they're like, "It's a porpoise," and then they're like, "Oh no, it's a it's a shark!" Yeah, like, and then it's just a shark trying to eat him. A CGI shark. And Adina. I'm, I'm literally like, they're jumping the shark, Ian. They're jumping the <laughs> shark.
0: <laughs> they really are, and I mean, this scene is noteworthy. I mean, the helicopter scene was kind of this moment of like.
1: Yeah, it was kind of moving. Yeah. And then
0: this is a moment where it's like so over the top that like Walter, when he's safe from the shark, has to confirm like that happened. Right. Like that wasn't a daydream.
1: But I don't like it.
0: I don't either. I think it
1: ruins the momentum that we got from that space oddity. Jumping in the helicopter. yeah, It felt like he was like doing something, achieving something. And then it's just this silly scene.
0: Yeah. With the shark. Even him having to like jump out of a helicopter into the water. Yeah. Would have been adventurous or exciting enough on its own. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about a man who works at an office <laughs> going to Greenland Getting in this rickety helicopter, like, that's enough adventure. That's enough. Him jumping the into shark. the water. We yeah. don't need the don't shark. Don't need the shark. <laughs> yeah, it's just, and this is one of those things where it's like, I feel a little bit like, whether it's the screenplay Ben Stiller's directing, he doesn't quite know when to lean into, like, absurdist humor. Yeah. Or go for the more sincere moments. Like there are moments of both that work well. There's sincere moments that really work. There's moments of like comedy that really work. But then there's moments that feel really disparate and, and like It's just
1: like a seesaw, like too yes, high, too low, like back absolutely. and forth. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's it's sometimes in balance but oftentimes swinging in either direction too far, I think.
1: Yeah, he ends up going to Iceland, continually trying to track down Sean O'Connell, who manages to be, like, two steps ahead of him every time he gets a little farther, right? And he's in Iceland. He's on a bike trying to get to Sean O'Connell. Yeah. And then he's on foot. Trying to get to Sean O'Connell.
0: And then he's on a skateboard <laughs> trying to get to Sean O'Connell. Yeah,
1: I did like the skateboard scene. I loved the skateboard stuff. I was stuff. like, this looks really cool.
0: It looks like the when he ties the rocks to his hands, you're like, what the fuck is he doing? And then when he's, like, grinding the the rocks, like... To turn? To turn, like, these sharp turns going downhill. And you can tell a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it is Ben Stiller. Mm-hmm. Like, actually skateboarding in a lot of these shots, so... Uh, yeah, no, I thought the skateboarding especially worked.
1: Yes. Then there's a volcanic eruption, <laughs> and a kind man picks him up in his car and gets him out of there.
0: Rushes to, like, ground zero <laughs> of the volcano eruption to, like, get him. Yeah. But, yeah, there's kind of a wild escape scene of them outrunning the ash cloud. I
1: mean, this is funny, but, again, I'm like, what? what is this?
0: To me, it's supposed to be more of, like, the adventurous, like, wild. But... Once again, he's starting off so low, right, in terms of, like, just being an office dude who doesn't get out, can hardly talk to anyone. You don't need to go to these (laughs) levels. To running, outrunning
1: an eruption. Yeah,
0: like, it doesn't need to go this hard, right? Maybe even if you didn't have the shark, this moment would have been better. Like, maybe I would have, like, bought this moment, but it still just feels like too much.
1: yeah. Yeah, and um, we have to talk, though, about Todd from eHarmony, Ian. Todd
0: from eHarmony.
1: <laughs> Who Walter calls because there's some kind of glitch with his profile where he can't, what is it? Wink. wink. He, he can't, can't wink, wink. Which is very, like, <laughs> Facebook poking yes, to me. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah,
0: and and of course the eHarmony guy, Todd, is voiced by Patton Oswalt, yes. which you can recognize immediately. And, and he is funny in the role, right? Yeah. Uh. I think the change that should have been made was Todd keeps calling him to check in about, like, his profile and to get things set up and just to see how he's doing, which is, like, weird. Yeah. Like, I almost kept waiting for more info about Todd. I'm like, is Todd weirdly lonely? (laughs) Yeah. I think Walter should have been calling him. Yeah. Like, Walter keeps bothering him because he's lonely and he's really concerned about, like, being able to, like, wink at cheryl <laughs> you know, e-harmony. i think that would have made like a lot more sense
1: yeah it's it's just kind of a funny gag that todd keeps calling him it's not necessarily anything to do with what's going on with walter's character other than the fact that he now has things that he can fill out his e-harmony profile yeah. with you
0: know i mean it's very obviously showing like um the extent that he's like doing things now and like growing as a person what's funny is I actually questioned at one point if Todd was even real.
1: Yeah, I know. I was
0: like, Todd could also be like in his head because like the whole thing about him continuously calling Walter – I mean, like, it's hard to gauge what's realistic in this movie. I know. He
1: calls him at one point when he's climbing in the mountains. I'm like, would he actually have cell service Uh, Exactly. Yes. I'm like,
0: he wouldn't have cell service. Like, this is in his head. Yeah. We find out it's not later on. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I actually thought for a moment that he was a figment of his imagination. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I mean, Patton Oswalt, I love Patton Oswalt. He's very and funny. And these scenes are very funny. They are. They're good. They're good for a laugh. Uh,
1: So Walter is not able to find Sean O'Connell and he needs to come back to Life Magazine because shit is going down. He goes back just in time to get fired.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like cleaning out the, the offices. They're taking away all the big cover images and... This is when Adam Scott finally figures out that Walter never had the photo, that the photo's lost, and so he gets fired immediately.
1: Yeah. Cheryl has also been fired, and so now Walter is like, oh, I want to go check on Cheryl. I'm going to go to her house. I got this skateboard in Iceland. I'm going to give it to her son. He goes to her house, and her ex answers the door and yep. is very much like, oh, you're here to see Cheryl? Uh, honey. It is very like-
0: Yeah. Like we're together. Yeah. Yeah. And Walter kind of has a moment of, like, doubt, and he ends up leaving. I do like the structure of this movie in a way. I find it interesting, the fact that, you know, we start off with him in New York feeling very insecure, full of doubt. Then he goes on this kind of, like, journey that has, like, adventure. He's kind of, like, opening up. And I was kind of surprised when he has to return to New York, right? You kind of think it's going to be like a there and back again story <laughs> where he returns fully formed. But he kind of has this like middle point where he comes back. where yeah. like He seems more self-assured. But then he has this moment where he thinks Cheryl's back with her, her ex and he has like the doubt and he like leaves again. I do, there's also a um, a daydream here where he's watching Conan in the taxi and <laughs> yeah. he imagines himself on Conan. Yes. I thought that was funny. I and, liked that. And well done. And that actually is furthering his characterization a bit more, right? hmm But yeah, so he he's kind of like not fully formed yet. He hasn't fully gone on the journey that he needs to at this point. There's
1: going to be a part two to this journey. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we got Walter kind of going back home and his mom and sister are there, which is, The scene where, like, his mom has kind of moved in with him and you're like, wait, what's happening with her? Yeah, yeah. But he's kind of frustrated. He throws away the wallet that Sean O'Connell gave him. And then he's looking at the piano, which is in his house now. And he realizes that one of the negative photos that Sean sent him was of the piano. And so he's like, Mom, was Sean O'Connell in your house? And she was like, oh, yeah, he stopped by.
0: I told you. She was like, I told you in the produce aisle or something, but you were, like, zoning out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he mentioned something else to her about, like, I thought he was going to go to this area because there was, like, another clue written on this piece of paper he found. And the mom's like, oh, yeah, the the Afghan warlords. He's going to to talk to the warlords. He told me when I talked to him and I gave him some cake. He was like, the warlords would love this cake.
0: Yeah. And I'm <laughs> Which, like, what? I know. The cake thing appeared earlier in the Greenland trip. <laughs> and I think some of this pays off in the end because I was like, Sean was in New York City. And like some of those facts feel like weird. Mm-hmm. I think some of it kind of gets wrapped up later. Uh, but now... Walter knows where Sean is, or where he's going. And so he kind of has a decision to make, and he decides to go to fucking Afghanistan to track him down and to try (laughs) to, like, get this missing photo.
1: He's climbing the Himalayas and eventually does find Sean O'Connell up in the mountains trying to photograph a snow leopard.
0: I feel like his journey here, like... He had the setup in Greenland where he became more adventurous, right?
1: But but now he's too he's good.
0: too adventurous. Adina. Yeah, he's
1: good at hiking now. He's good at uh, scaling this mountain. He's, he's like, yeah,
0: I'm just gonna like scale these mountains single handedly by myself. Like it's it's too much. It
1: is too much. And I I
0: wish it had like been pulled back a little bit, right?
1: Yeah, and he finds Sean O'Connell and is like, hey, I'm looking for that photo, and Sean is like oh, I put it in the wallet I gave you. <laughs> Remember
0: when I wrote, like, look inside? Yeah. And I got to love Walters, like, that was really fucking dumb. <laughs> <laughs> like, And then uh, Sean was like, yeah, okay, I'm sorry. Like, maybe I should have thought that out a little bit more. Uh, I will say, I think Sean Penn as the photographer is great casting. Yeah. I mean, he kind of plays that, like, And I think that plays into, like, Sean Penn's real personality. Like, he's known for going to other countries and doing, like. Being
1: kind of an adventurous person. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think this, like, role fits really well for him. Uh, But, yeah, Walter finds out the photo had been in his wallet, which he threw out. And he tells Sean about that. And there's kind of a funny back and forth where, like, he's like, ow, like, I I gave you that wallet. Why (laughs) did you throw it out? And he's, like, kind of heard about it. Uh, But he won't tell Walter what the photo was of because he was like he had said, oh, it's the greatest photo I ever took. (laughs) And he kind of won't explain what it was to Walter. And there's a scene where they like play soccer together and then uh, Walter goes home.
1: Yeah, there's this moment where he's going to photograph the snow leopard and then decides not to take the photo. And there's a bit about him saying, sometimes I don't take the photo. Sometimes I just want to be in this moment. Which I think is stupid. <laughs> Because he is there to take the photo, Ian. He has the camera in front of him, literally. If you wanted to live in the moment, you would have just not brought a camera, Adina, okay? I couldn't
0: agree more. I'm so glad you said that. you're,
1: like, falling in love with me again? Yeah, so much. Just, like, we're so
0: in sync sometimes that I'm,
1: l- like, okay,
0: I get it. Like, he's a really, wor- like, world-traveling dude, very in touch with, like, other countries and nature and stuff. He's a photographer. He's a
1: photographer. He's going
0: to take the photo. That's yeah. like what, that's his job. <laughs> he, like, why would he be like, you know, sometimes the best photos I never take. And I'm like, what no, the they fuck don't are exist. you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? I like what he's saying in theory because his whole message is about living in the moment, right? Which is what Walter doesn't do. <laughs> Walter's constantly- men- Daydreaming. Daydreaming and mentally escaping- like, the active moment of what's going on in his life. So in thematically, I like what he's saying, but it's still dumb. It
1: doesn't work because he literally has a camera in front of him, (laughs) him and he's sitting there to take the photo, and he is a photographer. And I'm like, this is just not working. (laughs) It's one of those things that, like,
0: sounds so wise, but is also just, I think, really dumb. (laughs) I'm so glad you feel the exact same way.
1: Uh, we have another very over the top scene here with TSA.
0: The, I, I I I know, I know, Where I know. Where it's like
1: the x-ray machine version of events. And he gets
0: in a fight with like the TSA people and they like and you, you
1: it's just you don't
0: know what's happening at first.
1: Well, cuz they're like it looks like he's trying to sneak a flute. Like onto a plane. Yeah. But then when he's being detained, they talk about him just coming from Afghanistan and like that being suspicious. So I'm like, wait, what reason was he detained? Was it the fight with TSA? Yeah. Or was it just coming from Afghanistan? Because if he was just coming from Afghanistan, we didn't need to see the TSA fight scene. Well, in the context
0: of them saying like, oh, Afghanistan is a, uh, a what, what was it? There's a travel ban yeah. there, which like makes sense, but they never said that. So I wasn't even thinking about that. So the whole, like, why is he having a conflict with the TSA didn't make sense until after the fight when he's sitting down with people talking. Yeah. Yeah, just kind of a clunky. Also, would you fly to L.A. from Afghanistan? Are you far enough (laughs) around the world that that would be the closest? I don't know. Like.
1: Uh, Yeah, why is he in L.A.? Todd shows up, and that's all we care about. And Todd takes him to the Cinnabon. So, <laughs> yeah. Todd for me, harmony. We, we get
0: to see Patton Oswalt in the flesh, <laughs> proving that he does exist. Yes, he does have a really great line where he, he's kind of commenting about to Walter about like you're not at all like what I imagined you. And at this point, you know, Walter has like a leather necklace and like a, he has a, a beard, beard now, and, and he looks like kind of rugged and tanned. And <laughs> Patton Oswalt says, "You look like Indiana Jones decided to become the lead singer of the Strokes." <laughs> Which is just, I'm sure, an ad-libbed line that is very funny.
1: Patton Oswalt is great in this scene.
0: I mean, I will say, like, I I think Ben Stiller does a good job of, like, kind of physically transforming throughout the movie to, like, look like a world-traveled kind of guy. And you're like, yeah, he looks comfortable and natural, like, in more of a dressed-down look and kind of (laughs) world-traveled, you know? Yeah, starting
1: out in a suit and then transitioning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he gets back home, and this is where they have to sell the piano. And I'm like, why are they selling the piano? Is his mom still living with him? Is she going to move to a new place? Yeah. Or do Or can they not afford it anymore?
0: Why didn't they sell the piano when they realized it wouldn't fit in the apartment she had already rented? Is
1: it because he doesn't have a job now? Is that If it yeah. is, they don't say it.
0: I know. <laughs> the whole piano saga.
1: I don't understand. I
0: don't either. <laughs> they sell the piano, and this is when Walter finds out that his mom dug his wallet out of the trash after he threw it away. So the the wallet he thought was gone uh, has been rescued. Yes. He takes the photo negative and he takes it to Life magazine, kind of throws it at Adam Scott, and kind of gets his moment to, like, tell him off, which... Could have maybe been more impactful or something.
1: Yeah, I feel like because he has a beard now, he can square off with Adam Scott because he has a beard too. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, I have a beard now and I can tell you that you're a dick.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that your beard is bad because my beard looks good.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He has a moment where he he, he says, and this was just the thought I had at the time, he tells his coworker, I didn't look at the photo Mm -hmm. before he gave it to Adam Scott. And I thought this was supposed to be like his moment to be like, I'm living in the moment now and the photo doesn't matter to me anymore. It wasn't the destination. It was the journey. Like I thought that was the message in that moment. But also in my head, I was like, Well, that's going to be the cover of the Next Life magazine. So
1: you'll see it. You're probably going to see it. (laughs) I'll never see it again. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I'll never know what was on that uh, photo negative. (laughs) He uh, runs into Cheryl again as he's picking up his severance package from life.
1: Yeah. Decides to go up and talk to her and she tells him, Oh, I'm actually not back with my ex. He was just coming over to fix my refrigerator, which if he would have been listening to her that time he had the Benjamin Button daydream, she was talking about her refrigerator. And she kept saying how she needed someone to come fix it and nobody showed up.
0: Oh, okay. So that was her ex.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought that was like
0: the refrigerator repairman. No,
1: I think like he offered to come fix it for her. because She talked to him earlier about, I waited all day for the refrigerator repair person to come and they never showed up. And so then when her ex called, she probably talked to him about the refrigerator and he was probably like, I'll come fix it for you. See, I think those moments
0: work or could have worked better. The idea that like, He's missing what people are saying. He's not really paying attention. He seems disinterested. Like, there's moments where he zones out and, like, Adam Scott makes fun of him, right? Yeah. Or people are like, hey, are you listening? But, like, having actual, like, information be lost on him that if you go back and you you can realize, like, oh, she was talking about that right right <laughs> then. Like
1: Or his mom saying, yeah, I told you Sean O'Connell was at my house, right?
0: Yeah. Which, at that moment in the movie, I was like... Wait, is she just being forgetful or did she actually tell him? Like I wasn't sure at that point. It wasn't clear. Yeah. Uh Yeah, I just think that could have worked the actual plot element of the daydreams into the the story a little bit better maybe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh but it seems like maybe the two of them can make it work, right? He, yeah. He's like my sister's going to be in Greece. You should come see it with me. It's not on
0: Broadway. It's, it's in a, a, weird a, church. a weird church. <laughs> <laughs> uh they're walking down the street together and they go past a newsstand where they get to see The Life magazine. Yes. I really I w- I wasn't ex- you were expecting this. I knew it. I yes. didn't I didn't pick up. I knew the photo would be in the wallet. Yeah. But I didn't know what the photo was of. And the photo is of Walter sitting outside the offices of Life looking at photos. He's got his um magnifying glasses, glasses on. on. Yeah. And uh, it's a really cool photo, and I like the idea. And there's a headline that says, like, to everyone who worked so hard to make Life magazine... For reality. our final issue. Yeah, for our final issue and that being the photo is uh is really great and I kind of like that. It, it caught me off guard so it really worked.
1: Yeah, and then it makes sense why Sean O'Connell was visiting Walter's mom. Yes. And why he was in the area and but, why But didn't
0: talk to Walter. Yeah,
1: why he dedicated, he gave him that special wallet and was like 25 is like the best image. This will be perfect for the final issue of Life Magazine, you know. So it all kind of falls into place, I think, especially here. And it is a, I think, a moving scene because it is sort of like, these are the people that worked really hard to make this magazine a reality. You yeah. Know? And I liked that.
0: I also, there's a funny moment where they're walking away from the stand and Kristen Wiig or, or Cheryl is like, Do you want to probably buy one of a, a, a copy or two? And he's like, Yeah, no, I, I just didn't want to seem like uncool. <laughs> uncool in the moment. I'll definitely buy some later. <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, that's that's the end of the film. Yeah. And uh, we've we've arrived at the end of the story and it's time for us to decide, Adina, which is better. <laughs> this four page short story or this two hour film.
1: You know, I, I don't know, Ian. I, f- I think I know. The but film is uneven.
0: Yes. I think
1: that's the best word to describe it. There are parts that I liked and there are parts that were really funny and I enjoyed But there were parts where I was like, why is this in the movie?
0: Yeah, I think it's very clunky. And I think for the most part, that kind of like unevenness hinders it. You know, like at the end of the day, it's a movie about like, oh, living life living every second of your life and not taking things for granted. And it's a pretty like, it's a, it's a little cheesy. It is. It's a little cheesy. It's kind of one of those life affirming stories and like
1: life affirming. ah, (laughs) See, I told you him working at life magazine is kind of ironic.
0: Uh, But yeah, like it's not doing anything spectacular. And I think in a lot of ways, the whole daydreaming aspect doesn't totally add to it. And, it's a little awkward. There there are some things that work and are funny, even some of the things that don't work, like the Benjamin Button scene.
1: Yeah, that can just live on YouTube. I right? know. Like, I will watch that again <laughs> on YouTube.
0: Maybe tonight. Like, it's so funny. Um, but ultimately, like, even though it's doing something way different and it's way shorter, I think the short story really works.
1: Yeah. I mean, it does what it wants to do and it doesn't linger too long and it doesn't veer wildly around in in tone it kind of sticks to sticks to its thing yeah i think you're probably right i think it is the short story it
0: it just feels like it's very well crafted you know what i mean in terms of like how it's written and kind of just being this funny little portrait of a man that's like a little sad, but it seems aware of that like kind of sad quality.
1: Yeah. And he's not trying to make him into an actual actually cool person. He kind of just leaves it as like, yeah, and that was it. That's his life. <laughs> yeah. You know, Yeah, there's
0: no arc for him or anything. I will say I think the way the movie tried to expand on this story was smart and worked like this guy who. Edits photos for a living just in an office of this great adventurous photographer. And then he has to try to track him down. Yeah. I like him going to Greenland and Iceland. Like, those are really kind of unique feeling. Yeah, I liked that, Locations too. that you don't often see depicted in movies. So I liked that aspect. Uh, like, there's a lot going on in this movie that I think if the movie was just...
1: Had pulled back a little, maybe? Yeah,
0: and was just a little bit more evenly toned. And maybe executed a little better. It could have been really good, I think. Yeah. But ultimately, I think it's held back a lot by some of those issues.
1: Yeah. And I feel like the movie wanted to be kind of inspirational, but also wanted to have these really, like, silly and, like, self-aware parody-ish moments. Yes. And 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 I don't think it it just, I don't think it works. Yeah,
0: those two things, like, just really don't gel. You can't
1: be self-aware, but also, like
0: really earnest. Cheesy
1: and inspirational.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or at least not in the way this movie went about it. Yeah. Like maybe someone else could have done that effectively, but this movie just doesn't quite land it. Mm -hmm. And I think this is interesting when you look at Ben Stiller's filmography as a director. Yeah. Because he started off doing like comedies like The Cable Guy and Zoolander and Tropic Thunder, which we love. And then he did this movie
1: Mm-hmm. He
0: did do Zoolander 2 after that, which is a comedy and also terrible, as far as I understand. I haven't seen it. Um, but then he did Escape from Danamora, which is a Showtime uh, limited series about two prisoners. True story about them escaping. Mm-hmm. And it, it's definitely a, a grittier, more realistic show. And then his most recent project has been directing episodes of Severance. Which is one of the best things on TV currently. And yeah, there's a lot of weird humor to it, but it's really it's like interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. way pulled back. It's really interesting. There's a lot of serious moments. So, like, I think Walter Mitty is kind of like smack dab in his filmography as he transitioned from like really silly comedy yeah. to more nuanced and interesting projects. That's
1: interesting to put that in the timeline.
0: Yeah. And it kind of it's melding those two things together in a lot of ways. <laughs>
1: yeah. All right. It's the short story. It's a
0: short story for both of us.
1: Let's do a lightning round? Yeah, let's do lightning.
0: (laughs) So first up for lightning round, when he's in Iceland, the way he gets the skateboard is he gets it off of a kid that he makes a trade with, right? Yeah. This trade is one of the worst trades I've ever seen in (gasps) a movie. Walter has with him this like old Stretch Armstrong toy, which is just (laughs) a man Made of rubber that you can pull on his arms and legs and, and stretch. And he approaches this kid and is like, I like your longboard. Um, I have this 80s-era <laughs> toy. Would you like to trade them? And I'm like, don't. No. Don't make that. That's a terrible trade. I'm like that. Skateboard probably cost a lot of fucking money. I know. And the kid, they're like, "Oh, uh, this is you it. can t- tie
1: your sister up." Yeah, with you can it. tie
0: your sister up. Okay, and he makes the trade, and I'm like, Wal- Walter."
1: Also, he has money, right? He could just pay the he kid. Give the it. kid money. Like, don't give him trash. It would have been. Re- I thought it would have
0: been funny if he's like trying to trade the Stretch Armstrong, and the kid's like, "What?" And he's like. Also $200. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that would have worked and been funnier. But like, I just felt bad for the kid. I know. This kid just got scammed. I
1: know. I'm like, where are the parents? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Next for lightning round, I would just want to mention this scene in the book where he imagines that he's like this expert surgeon. And I just want to read this part. Um, A door opened down a long, cool corridor and Dr. Renshaw came out. He looked distraught and haggard. Hello, Mitty, he said. We're having the devil's own time with Macmillan, the millionaire banker and close personal friend of Roosevelt. <laughs> Obstrosis of the ductal track. Tertiary. Wish you'd take a look at him. Glad to, said Mitty. <laughs> <laughs> like, the millionaire banker yeah. and close personal friend of Roosevelt that we're operating on currently. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Those absurd, funny details are just handled so well in that story. It's great. Uh, last up for lightning round, I have two very small things. Uh, the first is just... I found this detail so funny where uh when he's in the bar in Greenland, there's a guy just drinking out of this huge boot shaped like tankard like of <laughs> beer and the the waitress or the bartender asks what he wants and he's like, um, just a small beer shoe, please.
1: <laughs> gets it he does it's a smaller <laughs> uh
0: boot of beer but him calling it a small beer shoe was so funny
1: i have one more thing for lightning round.
0: okay well, my last thing though very tiny is it's really dumb but it really annoyed me in the opening of the film when he's at the, the train station as he misses his train and he walks off you get this really pulled back shot where the words on the boards change to the secret life of Walter Mitty, Mm -hmm. like the title, but it's like real small and subtle. Then we get this animated transition and it's the
1: title again. (laughs) Yeah. You get two titles. (laughs) And I'm like, what was the point of that? Also, there's that weird text on the mountain in Iceland that we had to pause the movie several times to read. Yeah.
0: That was really hard to to read. I didn't like that either, but like giving us two title cards (laughs) at the beginning of the film totally unnecessary if the first one was too small to read get rid of it yeah don't do it
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay finally last for lightning round i was as he's getting on the plane to greenland i was like there's no way this man has a passport Right. Yes. Because he doesn't go anywhere. And ha- you, And then later on in the film, he's looking at his checkbook again. And I saw two different charges where he got a passport photo and a passport rush charge. And so I was like, I kind of love that they yes. were like, oh, he did have to get a really quick passport to go to Greenland. Well,
0: you made the comment about like, Walter doesn't go anywhere. I'm shocked he has a passport.
1: Yeah. And I thought like. Well, he
0: also seems like a guy who's like overly prepared, maybe for things like he seems like he would have a passport just in case. But you, that detail I thought was great and I wouldn't have caught it. You you read it immediately. So <laughs> uh, that's it for lightning round. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us on this Odyssey.
1: Yes, this very interesting journey and it's always interesting to talk about short stories or different mediums being translated into a film or a show. So, I mean, we just did an episode on a comics, comics being yeah. turned into a show, so I love getting to talk about different formats not just books. So, this was really fun. Um, if you would like to support us, you can do so on Patreon and patrons get our monthly bonus episodes. They also get access to our discord. And if you have an episode you'd like us to discuss a favorite book or movie combo, uh quickest way to do that is to be, become a patron because, um, all our patron requests uh, have priority in our schedule.
0: Yes. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple podcasts, Leaving us a star rating or a written review is super helpful to the algorithm and us just getting discovered more frequently. If you want to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that garbage, uh, you can find (laughs) all those links at cover our website. Yes. Uh, Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.
1: See you next time.
0: Bye. Bye.